honestly, this is why I, I have my opinions on the future because I'm like, I just don't think any of us are good people. Boo. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. It's a mini sewed. Hi, it's Frida. And it's Abby. And this series is a bit different. It's all about science fiction, from aliens to outer space, monsters to dystopian futures, AI to time travel. Somewhere down the line, we've probably covered a movie about it. To get the conversation started, we watched James Cameron's docuseries, The History of Science Fiction. We are on episode four of this mini-series, and this this episode deals with dark futures or dystopia. I do love me some dystopia. You do. You are like the dystopia queen. They, they, they brought up Philip K. Dick. They were like, Philip K. Dick. And then they were like, Philip K. Dick is. And I was like, bitch, we know who Philip K. Dick is. <laughs> <laughs> we are Philip K. Dick pros. <laughs> we're across this. <laughs> All right. Well, we, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, do you like dystopian movies no no okay you don't like it because you don't like how they make you think or feel about the yeah, world yeah yeah of course like yeah okay i love many <laughs> of the movies mentioned i like them but i i yeah it's just not something not that i yeah <laughs> want to think about there are um, little funny points in it that i was like oh yeah that's actually interesting that i didn't think about that because mm. There are this this episode definitely brought up some reasons that I do enjoy it that I didn't that I didn't think about oh, before. That's good. Okay, yeah. well then, speaking of, is there anything that came up in the uh, documentary episode that you want to talk about before we get into our discussion topics? No, everything that I have to say is fully in the scope of our like discussion topics. So, okay, so. Uh, couple of things I did like. Okay, so a couple of things I liked was um, I liked that they called Robocop the American Jesus. Thought that was funny. Loved that. <laughs> um, I liked that they refer to Mad Max as the Sistine Chapel of Punk. Holy, yeah, so good. Something that I did think about, right, was, so I was trying to look at, as, as I normally do when we talk about these episodes, like what movies we've covered. And I realized that we are woefully lacking in this genre. Which is weird because these are my types of movies that I'm so down for that I love. Like, honestly, when I looked at, I went through all of our episodes list and I'm like, out of their list of movies um, that they talked about, we've not done any of them. Yeah, the we've done none we've of these done, movies. Yeah, none of them for main Blade movies. Runner. No, Well, there's two that I have down as main movies, but... Um, We've done, obviously we did our Philip K. Dick miniseries. So we've done like Blade Runner and Total Recall and um, A Scanner Darkly, which they didn't bring up, but to me is is a dark future. Um, and we did our Zombies miniseries, which I know more connects to the monsters that we talked about last week, but it is still also a, you know, apocalyptic future. Um, and then, so in, in main episodes, the only thing that we've done is Blade Runner 2049. And that's not even something that came up on their list that they talked about in the episode. <laughs> oh, you could also argue yeah. the case for idiocracy, but then we'd have to talk about idiocracy again. And I just don't. No, we don't need list. to talk about idiocracy again. Thank you. 
Yeah, and as they were going through it, I was like, not interested in a lot of these movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, the, the, that's the thing. I guess like it's it's on me to pick them, unfortunately, and I've just not. Robocop, I would do because what they said. Think about a future while you watch a robot shoot a man in the penis. <laughs> Robocop could be a good actual batshit episode because, you know, mm. they, the when he gets shot to, like, completely massacred. I remember that scene from Robocop. When the guy gets killed, it's, it's seriously violent. <laughs> and then he's alive as a robot. Uh, there's a few, the few that I would... So, like, we have done Total Recall in the miniseries. Um, I would totally love to do the Hunger Games, actually, because I think that would be an interesting thing to have a conversation about. And obviously, someday, I 100% want us to do The Matrix. Oh, there's no question. We have to do The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we haven't done The Matrix yet. It's crazy. I know. Yeah, The I've, Matrix. I've been doing some stuff recently on kind of trying to learn and understand what the concepts are around, like, the whole simulation hypothesis and things like that so I'm, I'm nearly feeling ready to deal with the science of the matrix okay interesting yeah i think yeah because i still have questions <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> all right shall we go into our discussion then so the depiction of dark futures in movies mm-hmm. how do we feel about it um there's so many different topics. It's so vast because there's so many different stuff to come up. Like, mm. there's the, oh my God, what would the world look like once it's managed to rid itself of us? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it went in so hard so fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, where depending on how we can behave depending on what happens this this will feed a little bit into the second section so maybe we'll combine the two topics the the depiction and the social message because so much about the depiction of dark futures is about a social message because it is about like how what will happen to us depending on how we continue to treat each other um Mm -hmm. or treat the world around us or treat our planet or treat um you know what what we feel is important to us and yeah i just i don't see any positive future for us i see a dark future for us yeah well it's it can be a warning it's a way like it's it's a way to warn us of what what might happen if we continue the way that we're continuing and so um i've just read two books recently that take place over years and generations and each of them sort of jump into the future and where they really, really sort of really subtly craft like a very likely future. And in, in, in these books, like the thing that they tackle is our dependency on um, on uh, phones and social media and things like mm-hmm. that. Like that because we're kind of already there. Like, um, you know, people I was sitting at dinner last night and just the number of people like couples that were just out for dinner on their phones and part of it is because the, the you know the restaurant goes oh we we don't have a menu you have to use your phones with the qr code right yeah and so they kind of we have to be on our phones and then we're just so addicted and so you look around and you're like bitch we're ready here and so then it, all book has to jump forward 50 years and be like how depressing does it need to get in order for us to realize we have to change our habits so um it's like a bleak warning 
um, yeah. for us all. But they also, I love, I actually like James Cameron is so positive. <coughs> all these white guys being so positive. He goes, <laughs> um, he goes, what if is also healthy to actually think like, well, yeah. what if this, what if that, like, it doesn't have to be warnings and dire. It can also just be a healthy exploration of, well, like, you know, maybe like the, 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 the man in the high castle, whatever, like, well, what mm. if. Germany won the World War Two. Like, the, what if this or what, what if that? And this is the thing, even as you were saying that, I was thinking again about Philip K. Dick. Now, I know that I'm partially biased because he's one of my favourite authors. That's fine. But it is the thing that I enjoyed the most about us doing that miniseries. I know that it was uncomfortable and I know that it brought up a lot of topics and conversations that were not in, not not exactly enjoyable. But I do think that he has one of the best ways of looking at what our world is now and projecting that into the future and creating something that is, you know, quite similar to what we have, but with one aspect that's different or one aspect that has gone to the extreme that you could envision happening, that you could see almost happening to a certain point. And then he shows us how terrible that would be for everyone. You know, I mean, yeah. A Scanner Darkly was a really, really very, very heavy description of um, of opioid abuse or um, mm. dependency. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Minority Report about the, like, the obsession with trying to reduce crime to the point that you would, uh, if you could predict that somebody was going to um or you know like, like removing the whole innocent until proven guilty thing or you know that mm-hmm. that thing that people do find helpless about police and things like that is nowadays you know it's there's so many aspects of our lives where something might happen and they and you might contact the police and they would be like oh you know we can't do anything because they haven't done anything yet and it, and it is a horrible thing when you think about it that way. It's like, particularly for women, particularly stalking situations and stuff like that. It's like, they have to wait for something terrible to happen before That's you right. can actually take any action. So, like, I can see why you might feed towards the idea that this would be beneficial. But, you know, it, it kind yeah, of shows... Yeah, basically, like, yeah. Yeah. What if it was turned against you? Like, it might be good for this... And then I wrote this point that dystopian futures start discourse, and it's exactly true. Yes. Philip K. Dick is really good at crafting it in a way that just allows us to have a conversation about, well, what if? And that is very valuable. And in a similar thing, this is a really interesting thing that was said this episode, that sci-fi film filmmakers illuminated fears for us that might yeah. not have been there, that they, it's, which is really interesting. Like the role that sci-fi filmmakers have made in actually bringing this stuff to our attention well before it happens, they started the conversation Yeah, and we continue it. And to actually, I'm like, that's pretty powerful to actually put that into the genre of sci-fi as being responsible for even giving us the idea that we should be afraid. There is a... um... Yeah, there's so many, so many things like that. But oh my god, uh, I can't remember what the story. I can't remember the name of the author is. Oh, someone will know Arthur something. I think I cannot remember. Um, basically, 
I, I read this thing a while back and, and I did find it really interesting. So I'm going to see if I can just very quickly find it. And I will find Papa it because I know exactly where it is. So give me one second. Oh. Okay. Um, no, it's not Arthur C. Clarke. It's, um, it's someone who's really not well known at all. Um, I'm just going, oh yeah, here we go. Okay. It'll be in here and it's in this one. Let me find the person's name. Oh, sorry, page is still loading. Arthur Train. So this guy, um, Robert Wood, who is, this is, this is a random fascinating story. Uh, Robert Wood is uh, an inventor who was the first person to um, take infrared photographs. Um, his pictures were put in the Royal Phot Photographic Society Journal in like 1910. Uh, he developed like, so he's the first person to develop filters to be able to take infrared photographs. And he's also the first one to develop um, ultraviolet filters as well. Uh, so it's just a really random thing about him. But then he also wrote novels, uh, co-authored them with this guy called Arthur Cheney Train, right? And they wrote a couple of science fiction novels. And the one of their books, which is called The Man Who Rocked the Earth, written in 1915, described what an atomic detonation would look like 30 years before the first atomic bomb was made. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah, I just think that's fascinating. 1915. It's just, you know, it's just, just as you said, it's like, it's so true. It's, I mean, science fiction is, it's not that science fiction is a precursor to science or, or anything like that, but science fiction writers, when they do it well, when they are paying attention to the world around them, that's what they're that's what their ability is to look at the science that we have now and see how it could progress and what that could mean for humanity and what good and evil it could be used for. And it's also to, to put it in a way that can be digested as entertainment, because it's one thing mm -hmm. somebody just being on a pulpit warning, but to act the actual brilliance of taking an idea and again, this is back to what we said about monsters. You take something which is very uncomfortable, you plonk it in a genre which you can go to any extreme and to any length to discuss, write volumes and volumes and volumes to really get into, like down to the most smallest detail about this idea and this alternate future or this warning and then have people read it. Um, it's a way to really dig deep into a topic. Um, I was just yeah. starting to read... Um, Rosa Luxemburg, who was this, I don't know, have you ever heard of her? No. She was a political activist like from before the World War One, And then she was actually murdered by the Germans in between the wars when they were like cracking down on socialists. Um, but she was really all for um, democratic socialism, somewhat Marxist, but some also critical of Marx. Marx as well but the, but her whole thing was she could see what is the consequence of capitalism in terms of endless production and endless consumption mm -hmm. and the fact that she said the natural world cannot uh, uh, cater to that degree of like 
endless, that capitalism was like, is this endless consumption. And when you read her words, you know, from 1911, Mm. (laughs) completely being like, if you go like this, like the natural world cannot support this amount of like unsustainable consumption. It's not like she said all these words very clearly. Um, but you know, she was just, she was an activist and she wrote letters and she did work and she's, you know, but then, then you think about people that had those thoughts and turned it into science fiction entertainment as a way to communicate it to people and to like elucidate, um, or illuminate for people, um, that this is something that you should be afraid of. And that is so interesting to me that people have these thoughts, but how do you get people to pay attention? And you, well, you turn it into entertainment, God damn it. Exactly. I mean, that, that is exactly it. And it's, uh, as they, like they say it in the episode, like all science fiction as cautionary tales, like that's pretty much what all of science fiction is in general. But it kind of leads me to something that I thought we should talk about in terms of social message or highlight really. And that's the importance of the handmaid's tale. The Hammer's Tale, I can't cope with. Okay. Like that, 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 that for me, I don't like watching sexual violence. I think I don't want to ever see it. Um, but I just, that to me is so distressing. Like back to why I don't like dystopian futures is because hmm. I'm so upset by it. But Hammer's Tale is like, to me, so many steps too far. I just, I just can't watch it because it's so upsetting and it's probably the reason why it's so upsetting is because it's a fear that I really really do have that I don't feel like I can confront it isn't enjoyable to me to confront in the same way that monster films are enjoyable (laughs) that's fair and yeah I know I, I I see I take I take the point about it and I do I find it very uncomfortable as well in general but I just I think what I find incom- or distressing about it really is the way it's, but it's just exactly what you were saying about the, I can't remember Rose. What, what was her name again? Who you just talked about? Rosa Luxemburg. Yeah. Um, taking, taking something and then kind of, you know, seeing something and seeing how, how, how it was going to affect everyone. And I feel like that's kind of pretty much what Margaret Atwood did. It's like she's looking at certain cultural aspects of the US, in in my opinion. I'm not putting, I, I haven't looked into what her motivations behind it were. But the more I learn about specific religious groups or, you know, certain kinds of ideals in certain parts of the US in terms of, how they feel the positions of the men and the women and how they're treated. Like I've listened to lots of stories and the, the disparity between how men and women are treated and the expectation that's put on the women versus the men. And, and, mm-hmm. and then this whole abortion thing, it's just like, it, it's like she's looked at the whole thing and gone, well, if you're going to go down this path, this is where you're going to fucking end up. And it is yeah. a cautionary tale. And it is basically saying, look at where you're heading towards. And we're still heading towards there. you know. Mm. And yeah. in a lot of cases, when it comes to these, and, and it's something that's kind of depicted in, in it as well, not maybe not, not in the same level, but a lot of the times it's women leading the charge. Do you know? And, it, and then 
Absolutely. Every fe- yeah. every like every feminist sort of revolution has had an anti-feminist revolution with a woman right at the helm. Yeah. Anita Bryant, Phyllis Schlafler, whatever her name is. Yeah, like there's always oh it's always a woman and it validates validates it for the men. Yeah. Um when I think about what's happening with the abortion debate, right? What are they not saying that they're getting more and more comfortable with saying, right? Yeah. That a woman should be having a baby because that's good for you. That's your reproductive destiny. It's actually what you want. Even if you're telling me you don't want it, I know it's what you want because that you're a woman, right? Mm. It's it's something that lawmakers in smaller parts, you know, look not federal, but like in certain cities are very comfortable standing up in front of their legislative bodies and just saying that the thing which was taboo, but not taboo anymore to actually full on say, I know what's good for you as a woman. And that's is to reproduce. And, and so all this stuff about banning abortions, it's no longer a problem to actually say in, in law, but a woman should be having a baby. It's what's good for you. And if you do lose a baby, well, I guess you did something wrong to deserve it. Yeah. Um, and so if that does kill you, well, God probably intended it. That's in the handmaid's tale. Yeah. There are lawmakers in America that are all but saying that. Like the fact that there isn't that care if a woman is miscarrying yeah. to go and have the termination complete or whatever, the miscarriage complete by a surgery so to save her from bleeding. The fact that but those things aren't matter. in place... Yeah, well, because if God said that you this, then obviously you did something to deserve it. Yeah. And that is God's will. Yeah, And we can't exactly. get in touch and with God's will. And, and obviously, you know, whether you believe in God or not has no fucking bearing on this whatsoever because we're the ones who get to make the fucking legislation. It's insane. It's yeah. actually insane. Yeah. And don't forget That's, as well that, yeah. of course, men don't have any ownership in this, you know? If she gets no. pregnant, it's her fault. She was a slut or a, yeah. or, a, or a or a whatever for yeah, you know, and, yeah. And she was asking for it, and she probably tempted yeah. him, and she probably you know, and he was a good man, and he was a good man, and he like you just see it like there's there's this great podcast that I listen to, and um, it's called Something Was Wrong, and there was an entire series, and it's just a group of women who left the evangelical church, who were all married to men within it. They were all they were all part of it as kids. They were all part of the youth groups. They were like married to a guy who was a youth leader, you know. And then they're going to become pastors and all. This. And it's just it is a money making whole load of bullshit, and it's all about control. It's all mm-hmm. about men having control over women, and it's yeah. disgusting. And you see how just, easy it tips over. Like, yeah. Sorry. It, no, but but it's true. It's true, and it's really upsetting, and it's really distressing. And then, like, we don't, we we won't talk about it anymore. But like, I do think mm. that it is, it is important to to not. We're stuck in this kind of world sometimes, where when you look at things like this to do with science fiction, where people will either dismiss it because they're like, oh, it's just a story, and you're like, okay, but it's can you can you look at it. Can you look for the nuance, please? Can you look beyond where it's just a story, where it's just fake or it's fake science or it's fake whatever and look at what it's actually saying? Because good science fiction is telling you a is giving you some hint. It's giving you some caution, uh, cautionary tale towards some 
sort of a future or direction that we are going in depending on how we are behaving in society and what the access that we have to science and technology as we learn more is giving us or not to bring it up again uh the more we restrict that access leads us to idiocracy yeah. <laughs> what idiocracy yeah these are warnings of of how easy it is for humans to go like we think we're in a democracy and we're free and we have choices and 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 a lot of these movies are saying watch your back because people will take your freedom away at the first chance because somebody benefits from it and so you have to keep fighting for democracy on the flip side to the negative stuff about females and dystopians can i say a positive thing yes you can a positive part of dystopian futures like and and exploring what happens when society breaks down right also means exploring when the patriarchy breaks down and yeah. we even if we are in a better time than women were da, 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 we still are chained in so many ways by the systems yeah. and fight and fight and fight we still are not equal we are not seen as equal we are not seen as being able to accomplish as greater things as a man we are held back in so many ways and when you're in a dystopia and this is what I love about this series. It's like everything's good, but also let's explore how for women it's a bit always a little bit of a different story. Mm. Because when the structures break down, it also breaks down the structures that tell women they're not as good as men and yeah. allows women to just say how well what could I be if those things weren't in place? And that's mostly like with the walking dead. Here's Carol yeah. who is in a abusive marriage with the guy who abuses her and she's just this meek wife and mother and nothing, the world won't help her and the world won't see her and she's absolutely stuck there. Come the apocalypse and those chains completely break loose and we can see who Carol really is and what she can accomplish when she doesn't have those things holding her back and that's a female fantasy. Yes, yes. I was and it's the same with race and, and like... class. Class structures break down, race discrimination breaks down, I mean, th that I feel like is in, in Walking Dead, you see it's still there. Um, but everything breaks down that holds everyone back that isn't straight white men. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't well, want to be so yeah. negative about it. But I mean, we are talking about dark futures and everything. But yeah, I <laughs> no, think I'm thinking I was like, man, Max, not true, because women will still have the reproductive destiny that can be. Um, that's the yeah, you see that. Yeah. That's it. That's always going to be kind of a part of it. But like, there's definitely <laughs> stories where they're able to take more control of that. Um, and definitely stories where that kind of doesn't necessarily have to come too much into play. Um, yeah. Well, um, 28 days later. Yeah. There was something The third that... act. Oh, stop that. Oh, my God. That was horrific. Yeah. As long as we have wombs. The truth is, because women have yeah. wombs, people are always going to try to trap us and force us to have babies without yeah. question. Because in a dystopian world, you know, making a new, um, you know, generation is obviously important. But that's why the middle-aged women, it's like, they don't have that. Like, that's the, the invisibility of middle-aged women, which yeah. is so shitty in our patriarchal world, becomes this best weapon yeah, ever. Best, yeah. Because there's, I'm not useful and my womb is no longer useful to you, so I can just be a badass bitch, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, and like that, that's an interesting fantasy where, where the tables turn. Go Carol! Yeah. It's just, <laughs> just Carol, basically. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Okay, so coming away from women and the horrors of no, um, <laughs> depictions for us. <laughs> um, something that something I'd mentioned uh, towards the beginning that had come up last week that I know you want to talk about is to do with the Twilight Zone and Robert Searle's Robert Searle, Robert Searle. She has forgotten. Surly, bloody hell. Surly. Rod. Rod Surly. Rod Surly. Fucking hell. I'm very tired, you guys. I'm really struggling to make sense at the moment. I do apologize. Um. So yeah. So he had specific reasons for creating the Twilight Zone, which kind of linked into stuff that we had talked about in the last episode, which was about monsters. Um. And Frida, take it away. Yeah, so the, this was in the 50s where all people wanted to hear was this apple pie depiction of the world. And, he, you know, he's, he wanted to talk about the darker things about life. Um, but because of censorship rules, that was really difficult. So the only way he could do it was via a science fiction series. Again, so like take a very dark thing that you want to talk about, transplant it as a science fiction story, and then go all the way to the extremes. Yeah. And that he could discuss the darkness of society through the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I think, like, it's such an interesting, it's such an important thing that we need to do. uh, Or or just a way to, like, not be so, I said it a while ago, but to not be so dismissive of science fiction and to just look for the deeper meaning and look for what the intention is. That, you know, I mean, obviously there's hack science fiction out there that's terrible, but... The blob. That was on last week's episode. <laughs> but yeah. No, there's so much. That I, I always say that it's great when you hear Steven Spielberg and, and James Cameron discussing. They are so positive. They're so passionate and positive about what they do. Yeah. So it's really nice. They say like post-apocalyptic world is the best and the worst of us. There's the worst, but yeah. there's also the best. And that's that's positive. So. Yes. Good and bad. Like, good females are free from pancreatic. Bad people want to enslave us for breast milk. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, there's one topic which was another social message from the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games maybe is something I am interested in watching because, again, that that was like the Marvel light. All these celebrities played roles in it. Like, all these famous people. I think people would Let's like do it. that. There we go. Next miniseries. But, that's it. Done. But wait, what the social message of that and, and what I really love hearing about all these filmmakers, how they have an experience that's so profound that it plants a seed in their head and they create an entire series out of it. I just love that. But in this case, yeah. it was the war as entertainment where, where mm-hmm. she was, you know, switching channels and the, the war in Iraq was on TV. And, yeah. um, that made her think and then she created a whole series out of it i just love i love those little filmmaker origin stories um i've seen that war as entertainment things as entertainment we brought that up a little bit in arrival but that that's a that's a theme that gets brought up a lot um that what we watch for entertainment and um i had such a similar experience when i was getting my wisdom teeth out in when i was 17 and i was waiting uh, to go into surgery and on the tv was the war in afghanistan was the invasion and that's what was on and i was like 
boring. Like, I just remember being like, is nothing else on TV? Because it was like, no, um, yeah. just it was just watching back, watching um, wherever they first, you know, invaded. Just waiting of like something's happening here today, and like they're invading Afghanistan, and we're watching. And I just remember being like, "Is is is this it? Is this all that's on?" Well, I get it because we become desensitized to these things. Like when the war in Ukraine first started, I was glued to the. TV every single day I was glued to it watching the updates oh my god oh my god oh my god and then it goes on for a while and it's like it becomes as you said it just becomes it becomes something on TV which is a terrible terrible thing to say because there are very real people living these very real experiences but it's the way that we consume media has brought us to this place where you get like ugh you know, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to feel bad right now. So I'm just going to go and watch this other Turn thing instead off. because we have the fucking privilege and the ability to do that because we don't live that life. It's crazy when you actually think about how we behave, and then it makes me honestly. This is why I, I have my opinions on the future because I'm like, I just don't think any of us are good people. Ooh, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> oh, okay. Steven Spielberg's a good person. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's all all my stuff about social messages. Well, then, from the barely a handful of movies that we've done on this topic, what is your favorite episode? Remind me what we've done. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember any. I'm I'm picking out of the film. I'm picking, like, we've got Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, (laughs) Total Recall, A Scanner Darkly. Minority Report. Um, I'm including the zombie miniseries as well. So, but like 28 Days Later, um, Girl with All the Gifts. What other ones in that miniseries? Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, but they're all at the moment of outbreak. They're not in the future. Oh, they're they're during the apocalypse. Yeah, everything's still pretty much normal and it's kind of becoming... I'm going to go Blade Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, that's mine as well. I liked it. It's actually one of my all-time favorite episodes that we've ever done, and I genuinely think about it often. I think about the conversations that we had within that episode and and what kind of movies I want to do to be able to extend those conversations. So I'm kind of excited about that. Wow. Um, So my final question to you, Frida, is what dark future do you see for humanity? What I see for humanity is um, like just the extreme version of our phone addictions and social media addictions mm-hmm. and digitization and dependency on digitization and just going full on into chat GPT and AI and, um, you know, the struggle for anybody to produce any original art or entertainment and it yeah. all just being formulaic. Um, and then I kind of worried about us becoming because of that and so homogenous and then having like totalitarian rule imposed on us because there's no variation anymore. Um, and so I, 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 do, I definitely worry about totalitarianism, um, you know, a la Handmaid's Tale or anything like just a power emerging that basically uh, doesn't allow us to have any colors and shades to us. Uh, and we're yeah. being totally controlled through our phones. Um that's my biggest fear. Yeah, I, I see that. I mean, it's 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 one of my favorite things we talked about when we did the 
Philip K. Dick miniseries. Sorry, now I keep bringing it up. But just our, our obsession, our connection to... Because um, it's all connected to consumerism. You see it now. You see it like on TikTok. You see it on Instagram. It's all about setting up your shop. Sell stuff, sell stuff, sell stuff. That's all they want. It's e-commerce. It's just like, how, how can we get you to use your social profile to sell products? And it's just like, I just feel... It makes me feel sick. Yeah. Um, I have a whole thing. Go on. This is this is my random. I, I, so as I was putting my notes together and I was looking at this last night and I said and I asked myself this question and this is this is how I answered to myself in whatever dark room I was sitting in. <laughs> um, first, we'll start to run low on power and resources because of our over reliance on oil and gas. Smaller towns and regions will become destitute while the cities hold on a little bit longer. Uh, rising temperatures due to climate change will cause more and more extreme weather and wildfires so that a lot of farms and villages are lost. Crops will start to die and people will start rebelling. The cities with the money will try to hold on to it by continuing the campaign of mis- and disinformation and our obsession with consumerism and social media will mean that television and advertising will become more and more degrading while people desperate to escape the horror of their lives try to win a ticket to the city. It's basically Hunger Games with a bit of idiocracy and eventually ending up in a Mad Max fight to the death for all of humanity. Yay future! <laughs> mm, yes, yeah, scarcity of food and resources is definitely uh, God. We're dumb. We deserve it though. We're so fucking dumb, right? Like literally, when I see the shit that people argue about online, when I see the fucking crap that people are out there fighting for and fucking campaigning for, and just out with their stupid little fucking protest sign bullshit complaining about like whether somebody wants to be identified as she or he or they and like literally what the fuck is your drama like the way we have the inability to look at what actually affects us and you know make our decisions based on that how easily led we are and how hilarious and completely, I don't know, is it irony? Is that the right way to put it? That the people that accuse others of being sheep and being led are the ones that are buying into the blatant bullshit from these idiots in power who don't even feel the need to even try to make a fucking sentence that has any intelligence in it anymore. I'm just, I'm both amazed and just losing all hope. Yeah, and but but then there's something weirdly um, and the fact that humans are doing it to, to themselves. I think yeah, I, even as the Planet I'm... of the Apes, doing it to ourselves, Planet of the Apes, we do it to yeah. ourselves. In a way, I can't explain why it comforts me in a sense. The fact that because it removes from me, I think there's a feeling of acceptance, but it removes a lot of guilt, I think, because... Their solutions have always been there, but we've refused to, you know, work together to adopt the solutions. And we're pushing ourselves head forward into like a very predictable path that people are very easily predicting. And so it says to me, I will just enjoy my life because, you know, 
they, they, I have no guilt, you know. And I was just in America when you see the sheer amount of, of waste, you know, just even from the plastics, you know, just when you realize, oh, you're doing a little bit here in little Melbourne, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's nothing. It means nothing. Um, yeah. Not like I won't continue to do those things, but I, to, to, to live without guilt and live without despair, you know, I guess is a gift too. So um, I think you're right. I agree with you. Just because but, I don't envision mm. a positive future for humanity doesn't mean I don't envision, envision a positive future for me or the people around me right now. Mm. You know, like we can live our lives in a positive way and have a positive influence on the people around us and the environment around us. But as you said, until like it just comes to a point where you're like, if you're going to continue listening to this shit and not do anything about it, there's very fucking little the rest of us can do. You know, it's can it's I, not about just... being defeatist, but it's about just kind of going, look, you know, I'll just, I've got my time here. Make yeah. the best of it. Yeah. And can I just actually read something out because to finish the episode, yeah. like a quote that I read, because I'll just get it. This is just back to Rosa Luxemburg, actually, because the the, the idea of dark times, you know, obviously we're in a, an apocalyptic sense, dark times, but, the, you know, dark times have always been there. And when you look to people from the past and like getting through dark times as advice on like, how do I get through dark times? And this Rosa Luxemburg wrote a lot of letters from, from jail and um, <clears throat> just reading how her attitude um. And I'll just find like a really good quote. You might have to give me a minute. You ask, how does someone become good? How does someone get the demon inside one to be quiet? Sonichka, I don't know any way other than to link up with the cheerfulness and beauty of life, which are always around us everywhere. If one only knows how to use one's eyes and ears and thus create an inner equilibrium and rise above everything petty and annoying. So this is a quote that's more about like how to be good in a world that's mm. shit. Yeah. But she writes just now the sun. I took a, she's right she's in prison. I mean this is the bleakest. She's in four walls and she was even taken away from a place where she could at least be in a garden outside and she only can walk around um you know in concrete, you know what I'm saying? Just now the sun. I took a little break from writing to observe the heavens. The sun has dropped much lower behind the men's prison buildings and high up in the sky. Myriads of little clouds have silently assembled. God knows from where. Their edges have a silvery sheen, but in the middle they are a soft grey, and with all their ragged outlines they are heading north. In this procession of clouds there is so much smiling, unconcern, that I have to smile along with them, just as I always go along with the rhythm of life around me. With the presence of a sky like this, how could one possibly be bad or petty? As long as you never forget to look around you, you will always be good without fail. And that will always be there, even in the apocalypse, you know? And I think we'll leave it there. This has been episode four, Dark Futures. I'm just not going to say anything else, because if I do... I'll lead us back into something <laughs> depressing. <laughs> so let's let's leave us with a, a bit of positivity. <laughs> um, 
And in two weeks' time, we'll be back with episode five, which is Intelligent Machines. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.